Pastor Scott has been sort of taking us through the three values that we want to think hard about in terms of who we are as people at the river. So there's been a series of messages on love given, servanthood. This sermon is concluding a, a series of messages from Ephesians on love shared, having to do with relationships. After Easter, Pastor Scott will start us in on a series of messages about worship, about love received. He's going to do something quite interesting, I think. He's going to be looking at the tabernacle, uh, its structure, its um, furniture, um, the activities that happened around the tabernacle to help us understand what worship is about and uh, how we ought to worship these days. So, final message today on love shared from Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Scott has been uh, taking us through the book of Ephesians, and we'll get this far into it, and then we'll shift gears. But remember that Paul writes as the apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm just looking at one verse 1. Apostle of Jesus Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus... As he writes to the saints at the river, Pastor Scott likes to pick up on that, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And he's been talking about why they may be called that. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He's made us alive in Christ. He's made us one in Christ. And then Paul gets to chapter 4, verse 1. And it reminds us again, as he did at the beginning of chapter 3, that he's writing as a prisoner. He's a prisoner somewhere. And he's writing as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I urge you, he says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And then a parenthetical couple of verses. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And this is a reference to Christ's humiliation and then Christ's exaltation. The journey that Christ took leaving heaven and coming down to be one of us and living among us and dying and then rising and ascending and in this position of power and authority at the right hand of God and is promising to come again. Verse 11, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in, in their deceitful scheming. Instead, uh, speaking the truth in love, 
we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There are some sermon notes uh, that are available to you. You can fill in the blanks if you'd like uh, and uh, follow along in that way. Church, question mark. Don't need it. At least that's the conclusion of, of a survey that was done recently by the Barna Group, the Barna Research Group. It's like the Christian version of the Gallup uh, survey people. And it, had, it makes a habit of surveying Americans and American Christians and trying to discern what's going on with the church. And, and the question was asked, uh, what helps Americans grow in faith? And here were some of the answers that came back. Prayer, family and friends, reading the Bible, Hear this one. Having children helps you grow in the faith. Wow. And there were other answers that were given. Church didn't even make the top ten. There were there was further research done, and what they found, what the Barna Research Group found, is that 49% of U.S. adults think of church as somewhat or very important. 51% answered not too important or not at all important. And then they did some further research with the millennials. The millennials are those that are 30 years and younger. It gets even more somber because only 2 in 10 believe church is important. And among millennials, there were 35% a very high percentage that take an anti-church view. Church is no good. Church has proved to be a failure. Don't want any part of it. This sort of came home even to me personally because uh, in the latest edition of the round robin letter that my siblings and I exchange every month, we do an email round robin letter. One of my brothers just reported that one of his two daughters, who is a millennial, announced, doesn't want anything to do with church, don't want to go to church anymore. She was brought up in a Christian home. She was brought up in the church. Don't want anything to do with that. Hard thing for my brother to write. But true in so many cases and among so many which makes this conversation we're having about church all the more important. Why is it important? Why is there something to be said for it? And Ephesians chapter 4, as well as the previous passages in Ephesians, have a lot to say about that. One of the things that Paul wants to say again and again in a variety of ways is that the Ephesian Christians, those saints as he calls them, need to grow. They need to grow spiritually. He says that in a variety of ways. One of the ways in which he says that is they need a balance between what they profess, what they know they are, and how that gets played out, how that gets practiced. 
There needs to be a balance between that. They, Paul doesn't want a kind of what we may sometimes call as an arrested development. Act your age, arrested development. Sometimes we can look at someone and say, well, that person has, is, is arrested developmentally, maybe um, emotionally, maybe psychologically. And sometimes we want to put it a different way. Act your age. Act your age. And that's what Paul is wanting to say here again and again too. Act your age. And you've got these references here to a growing up, becoming mature. That's verse 13. Become mature. Don't be infants any longer. And if you were to read beyond what we read, why you'd hear more about that and read more about that as well. Don't, and here's a Greek word, peripheromenoi, with false doctrine. It's a word that's found in verse 14 in our passage. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Peripheromenoi. It's sometimes used of a spinning top. Or if you've ever been on a uh, merry-go-round, and had the thing go around for a long time till you became so dizzy that when you got off, you just... I sometimes do this with my grandkids, to their chagrin, to their excitement, first of all. Grab their hands, and we go around and around and around and around and around and around and around. And we get so dizzy, we just collapse right to the, to the grass. That's what we're talking about. Don't let that happen in terms of deceitful schemes. Don't be fooled by deceitful schemes that people, servants of Satan, are busy working at. One of the very helpful things for me when I'm in a setting with, of prayer with Sandy Cooper is, is to be reminded of of the spiritual battle that goes on. Satan isn't going to give in easily. Satan has his allies. Satan wants to get his grip on us. Satan wants to pull us back. And when Paul and others, and we hear about the lordship of Jesus Christ, and when we think about now living a life worthy of the calling you have received, Satan would say, nah. Don't do that. And the results, and we have to read a little further than what we read in terms of our passage, but the results look like this. Verse 17 and following. Let me just read this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And then verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they give themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. This is how that looked like for the Ephesian Christians. It was a city in Paul's day that contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There was this magnificent temple to the goddess Diana. And it was built because tradition had it that this, this statue of a multi-breasted woman fell from the heavens. 
This magnificent temple was built in her honor. Ephesians would go there to worship. There were people that made money off of selling her statue to others. When you went into the temple to worship, it was an interesting kind of worship because it involved sexual activity because there were prostitutes there to service you as you worshiped. And Paul comes proclaiming the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Paul runs into that resistance of these people that are making money off the statues. You can read about that in the book of Acts, chapter 17 and 18 thereabouts. And Paul just is calling for them to claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. To act your age. You are believers. You are Christians. Live a life worthy of the calling. You have to make decisions. You can't be spun around by false doctrine. And we need that too. We need that too. We need that balance between head knowledge and how that plays out for us in terms of how we live. There are some of you I know who are who read the Bible a lot. And I know that because when I'm with you you can quote scripture. You you can recite scripture. There are others and maybe it's the same in some cases, who know theology really well. You can recite the five points of Calvinism. You can outline the Heidelberg Catechism and even give some details about that and say what, uh, how it came to be and all that. But what we're hearing here from Paul is it's not enough to just know that stuff. It's not enough to be able to recite Scripture and memorize Scripture. It needs to have an impact on how we behave, on how we act. We must keep asking what this means for everyday living. And the culture keeps tossing us back and forth. And it can be so enticing. The key to happiness, the key to joy, what is that again? Well, winning the lottery, getting millions of dollars, that must be the key. Or being able to go up to the San Manuel Casino or go to Las Vegas and come back with some money instead of losing it. Not that I speak from personal experience, I must let you. Um, or if I lived in this kind of home, or if I lived in that kind of place, or if I were married and married to this person, or if maybe I weren't married to the person I married to and were single, or, and it goes on and on, just watch the commercials on television. Why? Drink the right kind of beer. Use the right kind of lotion. Get the right kind of uh, anti-aging cream or surgery or something like that. And that will be the ticket to joy and happiness. And for us, 
We, the cult, live in a culture where it can be so enticing and inviting. We get addicted to it. If only I did this, or could do that, or take this substance, everything would be just fine. I thought of World Vision and the last two weeks that it has gone through in this connection. World Vision, an organization that maybe is well known to many of you. The river, it, it, it invites us to support orphans and adopt orphans around the world. And there was a time when the river supported in the hundreds of orphans. I don't know what the count is nowadays, but I know some of you support World Vision Orphans. It's a $2 million charity located in Washington State. Richard Stern, who has been here at the river, is the CEO. He announced on Monday, almost two weeks ago, that the board was going to change its policy about who they would hire as Christian workers. And the, the change in policy went something like this, that it would hire Christians who were in gay marriages. Christians who were in gay marriages. And maybe the board had been hearing from people had been looking at what, you know, state of Washington, of course, gay marriage is legal. Right across the border in Canada, gay marriage is legal across the nation. In many states it is now too. And the board said, we're going to hire Christians who live in gay marriage. There was an uproar. Prominent evangelical leaders condemned the decision. Thousands of donors canceled their child sponsorships. Two days later, on Wednesday, World Vision backtracked. Another backlash, also from many evangelicals and others who support gay marriage. The board, one board member resigned. The board met last Wednesday. It's going to meet again soon to deal with the issue. Talk about a spinning top. And I don't know where this is going to go. I think it's a good thing that one of the questions we're going to be looking at in this series that Beth referred to is, what does the Bible say about being gay? In our culture, in our time, that's an important question for us to be asking. And someone else, someone said to me after the first service, Pastor Will, in all of this controversy, please don't forget all those orphans that need help and support. Go back to the passage. Here's what the Ephesians needed. What they needed to be is part of a body. That's where growing takes place. That's where maturing takes place in the context of the body. Why? How? Well, God's people and, and, and need at least two things, and that's what comes out in this passage. The one thing that's described is unity. Unity. Make every effort to keep unity, and it's a special kind of unity. It's not based on skin color. It's not based on nationality. It's not based on um, 
It's not based on where you are financially. It's not based on where you grew up or what nation you're a part of. It's based on, and here's how it's worded in the scriptures here. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It's a unity that's based on on Jesus Christ. It's a unity that's based on the body that we enter into in terms of baptism, baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, acknowledging that we're part of that body. It's a, it's a, it's a unity that's based on the work of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace. One faith, one baptism, one Lord, God, Father of all. The second thing that gets mentioned in our passage has to do with giftedness. It's interesting how it comes out. Verse 7 says, And to each of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And so you have to hear grace in kind of a unique, special way. Um, You can almost think about Christmas time when you might be receiving a gift or two. And that's the picture that you have here. Christ in terms of his grace, gives us gifts, spiritual gifts. The Bible refers to a large variety of spiritual gifts. And we have been given spiritual gifts. Grace has been apportioned to us. If you go to the very end of that little section, what you read there is that uh, what that is all about in verse 16 From him the whole body, joined and held together by each supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You get the picture of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where there is this picture of the body. Christ is the head. We are the parts. A variety of parts are mentioned as examples, parts of the body. And we're told there in 1 Corinthians 12, don't be jealous of someone who has a different gift than you. God has given you your gift. God has apportioned his grace to you in a special way. And also, don't resent those who have a different gift than you do. It's about gifts that have been apportioned to us by Christ, called to serve as each part does its work. And that's what we need. And that's what I'm excited about even with those who were introduced on the platform. Because it has to do with us figuring out what are their gifts? How do they contribute? What's this about? What special things will they contribute to the body? And what I put on the screen as kind of a final little section comes from a piece of paper that I've had on my my bulletin board on my uh, board over my desk for about 10 years. If you look closely at this piece of paper, you could see all the print park pinholes, pinholes in this thing. This has been up there for quite a while. This comes from a time when we had a former pastor, Pastor Tim Spikestra, and I was just coming on to staff over 12 years ago now. 
And I was one of those several people that were coming on staff, and Pastor Tim realized that we needed to do some work together in terms of staff, that we weren't each just hired to do our own little thing in our silos, as it's sometimes called, and we hardly talked to each other or even knew what the other person was doing, that we were a team together, a team that needed to work together, a team that needed to be together a lot, a team that needed to know something about each other. And so um, th- that first line is, is, is just kind of um, a, a small variation of what I have on this piece of paper, to be the body that uses our God-given gifts for works of service so that the whole body is healthy and overflowing with the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be. That's what this passage calls us to. And then what Pastor Tim did was just take some of the words in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, even some words beyond where we read, and just picked on those words and just developed them a little bit. Values, he called them. The value of humility. We need to be humble and gentle. I need to remind Pastor Scott of that this week. Because he sort of rubbed it in when my team, Florida, lost yesterday. It was the only team that was surviving in my bracket. And it was the key to actually winning. And last night, Pastor Scott couldn't help but text me, ouch, right after that game. All right. We need to work at humility together, being humble and gentle, patient. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I thought I heard that from Mike Smith this morning. Yeah, be patient with me. I have my faults. I'm in process. We're all in process. None of us has achieved. Be patient. Unity, always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind ourselves, yourselves together with peace. And then from some verses later in the chapter, honesty. So put off falsehood and tell your neighbor the truth because we belong to each other. Encourager, let everyone, everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. How We don't all need encouragement. Every one of us does. Even Harriet Beerling, who said, I couldn't say anything about the beautiful little ribbon that she had as she put the gifts together. I want to encourage her. Harriet is my ally in just putting these gifts together and It's a good thing. We need that. And then finally, forgiveness. Be kind to each other. Tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven us. This one came home to me just big time, just this past week, because I was having a conversation with someone who's dealing with one of those awful illnesses that's not stopping. 
And she said to me at one point, I know what I'm supposed to do in terms of obeying the doctor's orders. That was her context, you know, in terms of obeying the doctor's orders and doing what she was supposed to do. But I don't always do it. Isn't that the case for each one of us? We hear the call to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Grow up into him who is the head that is Christ, joined and held together. We know it. We hear it. We see it. But we don't always do it. And that's where we need the Holy Spirit desperately. This isn't on your notes. I'm adding this sort of last minute. It has to do with the foot washing. The little devotional booklet that Ruth and I follow dealt with the foot washing episode all week. It kind of took it apart and looked at it piece by piece. The time when Jesus, just before his crucifixion, is gathered with his disciples, and he takes a towel, and he takes a basin, and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Those dirty, smelly feet with the little dirt between the toes. And he does that. And it is scandalous. Because... The King of kings and the Lord of lords doesn't do that, does he? Our rabbi for three years doesn't do that, does he? And Peter says, I don't want anything to do with this. And Jesus said, but if you're going to be part of me, this is what you need to let me do. And it was a pointer to the cross scandalous that the king of kings the son of god died on the cross he hadn't sinned he hadn't done anything wrong but every one of us needs that and then jesus says something else do to one another as i have done to you and in this little set of devotionals there's one little paragraph and i'll just conclude with this Following Jesus' example of humble service is no easy calling. It's a calling all of us are called to. In fact, we cannot do it without the Spirit of Christ living us, living in us. Scripture promises that as we serve others, Christ, by his Spirit, is present to guide and to equip and to bless. That's the church. That's why we need it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you, Lord. We need your spirit. We need you to help us translate what we hear and what we at some level know into doing. It is something that doesn't always come easy. Heavenly Father. Thank you not only for your example, but also for what you, in fact, did for us. And may we just cling to that. May we just hang on to that. May we believe it and then live it. Help us, Lord, to find that as we're part of this body, the river, that that's a context for growing. 
and leaving behavior that is childlike and moving into behaviors that show maturity in Jesus Christ. Lord, make us one and enable us to live those kinds of lives. In Jesus' name, amen.